0: for those who are at Laodicea, and for those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to
1: all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with with persuasive arguments. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk
2: in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude.
1: All right, again, there's a lot in this. First of all, What does Paul want them to know?
3: His struggle.
1: (laughs) What struggle?
3: Struggle to encourage them, sort of.
1: Yeah.
2: was assuming he was struggling
1: in prayer for them. Okay. Yes. I think Paul was extremely concerned about them. He really, he, he not met them, but he heard about them and he knew the challenges facing them. And so he was anxious for them. He prayed for them. He thought through the best way to refute the false teaching and to shore up their faith and perseverance. He had a great struggle on their behalf and for the Laodiceans and for all the ones he hadn't seen. He just cares about them so much. You know, isn't it incredible that Paul would care that much about brethren he'd never even met? You know, our our deep concern for our brethren ought to extend beyond our eyesight. Oh, not to just be the people we have actually met, but people we know about. Uh, but, but you know, this, this contradicts a self-absorbed, self-focused sort of Christianity, where we're just trying to have a nice Christian life with a nice Christian family and a nice Christian suburb and a nice Christian church, and we'll be nice ever after. Paul cared intensely about people he not even met who he knew were Christians but were really in danger. And what does he want for them? What was his struggle? That their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together, together in love. We sure need that. We need the encouragement of, of our hearts being really tied closely together in love. I love that idea, knit together in love. It just really describes that close fellowship between brethren and their love. But not just that attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. Now, I think the idea, and this is a big point in this book, is the need to have total conviction of where they were and what they were doing. They need to have full assurance of understanding, the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. Now, here's the reason. I've used this illustration before, probably, but a a, a, a traveler... Who is in doubt will listen to everyone. Have you noticed that? When you know where you're going and you know you know where you're going, you won't listen to anybody. Right? The more assurance, the more conviction you have, the more you are not going to listen to somebody who tells you, no, you're not on the right road, you need to go over there. Hey, I know what road I'm on, and I know where it leads, and and you're just mistaken. Versus a guy who's like, oh, okay, my bad, I'll I'll go over there. He wants them to have conviction, so these false teachers come along, and they say, oh, we've got this super-duper special, you know, stuff that you've never heard of before, but it's going to really enrich your spiritual life. They say, we know where we're going. We have full conviction, full assurance. We're not so vulnerable. They have the true knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Christ is it. Now notice what he said in verse 3. In whom, that is in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, every bit of spiritual knowledge that's worth having is in Jesus. If it's not in Jesus, discard it. You know, people seek other sources of spiritual wisdom and understanding. We know I learned a lot from Jesus, but I sure do get a lot from those Greek philosophers, too. You know, I know a lot from Jesus, but those other world religions, they have insights that help me understand the reality of God even more. Or whatever. No! All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So any wisdom or knowledge that's not in Christ is not wisdom or knowledge. It's all in Christ. So don't listen to anybody who tries to, you know, say, if you'll take this supplement, it'll really help you. It won't. Now that's a key point right there. I love verse 3, and I love how that inoculates us against anything that goes beyond Jesus. If verse 3 is true, then nothing else matters other than what Jesus revealed. Thoughts and comments to verse 3. Verse 4 is what I just said. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. He is worried that somebody's going to come along with a slick presentation and they're going to be wowed by the packaging and not examine the content and they'll fall for it. So Paul's pulling back the veil on Oz and letting the readers see that it's just marketing techniques that the false teachers you're using, they don't have any content. There's nothing real there. All the treasures, the wisdom, and knowledge you already have, they're in Christ. Don't let anybody come along with some slick, eloquent presentation and get you to think you need something else. He says, I, I may be absent in body, but I'm there spiritually. You know, And, and he's there so much he's inspecting them and, and concerned for them. He said, I, I rejoice to see your good discipline, and the stability of your faith. Generally, they've not yet succumbed to the false teaching. So he's more vaccinating them, not giving them some sort of antibiotic. You know, but it's dangerous. You know, the false teachers are there and, and Paul's concerned. But he sees that they've still stuck it out this long and he rejoices in that. And what he wants them to do is keep going. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You know, what you've already had in Christ is a pattern for how you continue. Um, so you need to live what you've learned. You know, what you, doctrine and behavior go together. You know, when we learn the truth, then we must live the truth. Being firmly rooted You know, so we've got to have a deep, you know, um, foundation, stability, firmly rooted and built up and established in your faith. So we need to be uh, rooted and and then built up so that nothing can sway us. uh, Just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Now they need to follow just what they were instructed. You know what, Epaphras taught them that's the truth. Stay with it, continue in the truth, the true faith that Epaphras revealed with gratitude. Now, how does gratitude help them?
2: They're overflowing with it, they're kind of focusing on it and that's a helpful thing to focus on instead of these false teachers who can be
3: distracting them.
1: Okay, good point. What else? How does gratitude make you less vulnerable to being deceived? You're thankful for the blessing. Yes, you appreciate what you have. You know, when you really are thankful for what you have received and learned in Christ, you're not discontented. You're not seeking something else. You're not craving some other enlightenment. You are so thankful and grateful for what you've received. False teachers, capitalize on discontentment and ingratitude. You get people who think, eh, well, I don't know if I really like what I've got. Well, then anybody who comes along offering something new and better, we'll put it, we'll try it. You know, I'm glad for, for the, the, the you know, for some other option. So gratitude is an important offensive measure in fighting false teaching. You wouldn't think that so much. But, but what's one of the antidotes to false teaching? More gratitude. And for that reason, Colossians is a book on gratitude. In a small book, he's going to mention it several times. It's a key to what he's trying to teach them. Thoughts and comments through verse 7.
0: He kind of says almost, uh, you know, having been firmly rooted, but that's what he's trying to do. (laughs) You know, it, it Encouraging them by saying that they are, or commending them, or...
1: Yes. It's almost like he's saying what he hopes is true. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's like violin.
1: Yes. <laughs> it's very Paul-esque.
2: It's just not being passive-aggressive.
1: <laughs> I don't know about all that. Sounds like contradictions in terms to me, but... But yeah, it's... Uh, Paul hopes for the best, and so he will express what he's hoping is really true. But that's what we need: firm rooting, deep conviction, and assurance, and to where we're we're not vulnerable. Gratitude. We're not. We're not listening to anything else that's going to take us astray. All right, eight to fifteen.
3: See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumc- circumcised with a circumcision, made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which were hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him.
1: Well, here's the warning. Don't let anybody capture you through philosophy, empty deception, human tradition, elementary principles of the world there is a danger that there would be people come in and view the Colossian Christians as kind of a nice prize for their trophy case. And they'd carry them off with some of these false philosophies. And Paul doesn't say who. He just says, don't let anybody. You know, he doesn't say, now watch out for so-and-so, so-and-so. Don't make an just who they are. Don't let them take you away from the Lord. Think about the areas where they could do that. Philosophy and vain deception. There are a lot of, you know, we get impressed with man's quest for truth, which kind of non-revelational attempts to solve the questions of life. You know, so great thinkers, great scholars who've thought deeply and they've meditated on the meaning of life and they've come to discover some fundamental truths and principles that if we follow them, we're going to have a more enlightened life. That's appealing to us. We like to think we're sophisticated. You know, so if we, we know these philosophical things, I mean, that shows we're really smart. And it's kind of prideful to think that we've been able to discover some things that, that it didn't have to be revealed. That We actually learned some things on our own, apart from what God said. Those things kind of are attractive. And so that's one of the things. This, these philosophies of men are dangerous. Um, he speaks of the tradition of men. You know, long time, long held ideas and beliefs, but they come from men and not God, you know, and even if it's been around for a long time, if it comes from man, then that's a human source, and, uh, you know, we're bad about, well, you know, we've always believed this, you know, we've just always done this, well, who cares, you know, did it come from God when it started, if it didn't, it probably isn't any more from him now um and and then according to the elementary principles of the world some debate about what this means um you know maybe we should just take this as like the abc's you know like some of the worldly ideas about god actually came to some elementary concepts of god not every idea in paganism is totally false but they are just the rudimentary ideas. They're certainly not, you know, anything developed in a, in a right way. So don't let anybody take you captive through these philosophies, through these human traditions, through these elementary worldly uh, dogmas, rather than according to Christ. Christ is where you need to stand, just with him. Uh, he's the yardstick that you measure everything else by. So any teaching that doesn't fit Jesus, and he's sufficient, everything good's in him. If it doesn't fit that, then it's not right. It's not from God. Um, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. All the essence of God is in Jesus. You know, and again he says all the fullness. <laughs> so if you got all the fullness in him don't you even think about trying to get anything spiritual or godly or divine outside of Jesus there's nothing there Christ is everything, isn't that what he says for in him you have been made complete now wait a minute let me go ahead and and say a couple more things about verse 9 though Um, looking at my notes better Um, when he says all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form We probably need to think about that a minute. Um, So, the totality of God's nature came to dwell in the human person of Jesus. God took residence in a body that was sacrificed on the cross and then raised from the dead. Now, what does that tell you? You know, if, if God chose to dwell in a human body. What does that tell you about the body? Well it can't be
2: inherently evil.
1: <laughs> That's exactly right. That's I think that is the, the the point. It's not the body is not some, you know, inherently flawed, limited, evil, tainted or else. How could all the fullness of deity dwell in it? Now, what about the Greek philosophies? What did they teach about the body? What did Plato think about the body? And other Greek philosophers, they saw the body as really being evil. Or or certainly lower. In fact, the spirit, that's where the reality is, the body, is kind of an unfortunate thing. And so... You know, the, the there was great blessing in dying because you got rid of your body, you got rid of the material, and you could become the true spirit. That kind of an idea. I'm not an expert on Greek philosophy, trust me, but it's something along that line. And that's really just wrong. You know, God with if God chose to dwell in Jesus' body, He dwell, chose to dwell in our body. He plans to raise our body one day this idea of the body's bad and there's just something really evil in the body and you just wish you could just get rid of the body and then you'd be pure. No, that's not it. So he, he you know, he didn't have to say in bodily form. I think he said that to combat some of those uh, Greek philo- philosophical uh, teachings. And then he says in 10, in him you have been made complete. You know, so we dwelling in him are completed. There's nothing richer and fuller the false teachers have to offer. And he is the head over all rule and authority. It appears to me that they probably, these false teachers, were emphasizing somehow spiritual powers like angelic beings or celestial beings or spirit beings of some sort as having some special role. We're going to see that more later on in this chapter. But right here he says he's the head over all rule and authority. Any kind of spirit world powers and celestial powers are nothing compared to him. He's the head over them. (laughs) So we've gone right to the top with Jesus. We certainly don't need anything inferior anything you want to say through verse 10
0: the philosophy and empty deception sounds a lot like the scientists of today and then um, undermining the principle the basic principles I think that's a lot of the point of the, the debate about Genesis you know 1 1 through 11 the whether or not it was real. Yes, because if you get rid of that, then you just chip away everything else.
1: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's an intellectually, you know, I don't know, superior view. You know, there's these you know, you've got these uh, simpletons, you know, these ordinary people who, you know, they actually believe in this, you know, inferior idea. But us intellectuals who really know things you know we understand that that's just kind
0: of a myth it even fits with the elementary principles oh it's just time i mean you know millions and billions (laughs) of years of time i just elementary look at look at the layers you know look (laughs) at (laughs) how element, how more basic could you get
1: (laughs) doesn't take anything supernatural so what have we got to do what's what why are we so tempted by those things well several things but one is we're just tempted by wanting to be somebody by wanting to be an intellectual who wants to be an ignoramus you know who wants to believe these things that only you know uneducated unenlightened people would believe so we get impressed by that intellectual superiority that's exactly what he's dealing with here these these guys who come along with this special stuff you know we, we we're smart too you know we want to we want to be enlightened too and so we get impressed with something that the Lord says is totally empty. If all the wisdom and knowledge is in Christ, then all this stuff outside of Christ is bogus. It, it really impresses. Satan loves to impress. He, he's a great, uh, you know, packaging expert. You know, he makes it look really good. I mean, why did Eve want to eat that fruit? To the eyes. and wise. make you wise you, oh you know we can learn something apart from the Lord this can make us wise we've been vulnerable to that ever since you know something that will make us wise oh now we know something now we're a part of this intellectual superior and we're not these common ordinary people who just don't know anything so we've got to watch that his point is Oh, we've got it all in Christ. We're made complete. All the fullness of God dwells in Him. Don't let anybody take you captive by anything else. It's inferior. Good, good application of that. And and really, there's lots of other human philosophies. There's lots of you know philosophical ideas that are in contradiction to the Bible that you know people latch onto and like. Uh, and they feel superior. They feel like, oh, we know something special. Well, he'd say, if it's not from Christ, you don't know anything.
2: And even when you hold them up to scrutiny, like a lot of those ideas are obviously, like, they don't make sense or whatever. Like, you don't actually have to be that smart in order to see that um, that Christ's teachings are true. It's more of a propaganda than there being any substance to it
1: It's the emperor's new clothes <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah and and so you don't dare say that you actually believe this you know primitive <laughs> teaching you you wouldn't believe that would you? Well, no, no, I wouldn't want to believe that. You know, I mean, it's just like it's really funny, almost. They don't
2: even argue it; they just make you act like you're
3: stupid if you believe
2: it. Absolutely,
1: yes. absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the that's the tactic.
2: Yes. Well, that was the Bill Nye Ken Ham debate. Why would Bill Nye even condescend to debate Ken Ham about anything relating to the Bible or creation, like? You know that was just so ridiculous. We shouldn't even yes. honor him with that kind of intellectual discussion. Or
1: yes, exactly. What what do believers know about anything intelligent? Yeah, <laughs> that's the whole that that is the marketing scheme. And so it's, we're vulnerable unless we have conviction. They're the ones that don't know anything. If we have Christ. We've got it all. You know, we don't need anything else. You know, we really are blessed. It's not that we're smart, it's that we have the source of all wisdom and knowledge in Christ. We're not trying to become anything, but we're not gonna let go of Christ for something human beings have come up with. <laughs> what, the tr- Can you imagine God saying, you guys think you're the smart one? <laughs> you know, you think you know something? And, and particularly about origins? I mean, yeah. that's, that's kind of laughable. I mean, it, it'd be like, you know, uh, one of you uh, teenagers or pre-teenagers, you know, talking to me about, uh, you know, stuff back in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, guys, I mean, I lived it. I, I, you know, you tell me, oh, no, it you know. 40s. Yeah. 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 Not quite. 30s. Yeah. We haven't gotten there yet, but, yeah, no. But, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's like, well, I mean, who better to know about creation than the one who was there? These guys who come along, by their count, a few billion years later, by my count, a few thousand years later, but either way, how do they know as much about it as what the Lord does? We just gotta humble ourselves. Quit trying to think that, that human ideas are equal to what God says. So, Willie, really, these are applicable things even in the kinds of approaches that Satan takes today.
0: It's like there was a guy that tried that once with God, and he kind of set him straight on that account.
1: That's <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. No. So, I mean, you know, he's the head of all will and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, one of the things that obviously these false teachers were involved with was the uh, application of some laws of the Old Testament. That's pretty clear. I think there was a kind of a marriage of Judaizing teachers with some sort of pro- pre-gnostic philosophies. But but clearly they're they're impressed with this circumcision. <laughs> Well, we've had Christ's circumcision. This is a uh, circumcision didn't even require a knife. <laughs> you know, Christ did it uh, microscopically, or, you know, whatever. Uh, when he took the flesh and removed that. Not some piece of physical flesh, but the sinful flesh. So we don't need any other circumcision. You know, we've had Christ's circumcision. Christ circumcision. I mean, no human surgeon would ever be able to do what Christ could do for us. And when was it that we were circumcised by Christ? Well, when we were bapti- buried with Him in baptism. That's when Jesus circumcised us. That's that's kind of a funny way to say He forgave our sins. <laughs> but isn't that what He did? He cut our sins away from us. He circumcised us. Cut off the flesh. And we were raised up then. And just like uh, Jesus was raised. Um, now, He's not saying that baptism is circumcision, or circumcision is baptism. And certainly we must not think that the same people are baptized who were circumcised back in the Old Testament. That would create some problems. He's saying that when we're baptized, Jesus circumcised us. Now can you see what problems would be created if we took the position that the same people ought to be baptized that were circumcised? Do you know how this is often used Mm -hmm. to try to defend what? Infant baptism. Infant baptism. See, they were circumcised the eighth day. Mm -hmm. So if baptism is Christian circumcision, then we ought to baptize infants, just like they circumcised infants. But if we take the position that the same people ought to be baptized that were circumcised, do you see another problem? That would
3: be the Jews who were circumcised. Not only that. They
1: did. What did you say? Only the males. Only the males. You can't baptize women. You can't baptize girls. It was only the males that were circumcised. So clearly nobody believes that the same people ought to be baptized that were circumcised, any way you look at it. You know, people are very arbitrary. <laughs> they want to go in and pick one thing and not another. You can't really do that. He's certainly not saying that anyway. That's uh, uh, He's just saying that we experience jesus circumcising us that is cutting the flesh out of our life when we're baptized and we are raised then from the dead you know we were dead but now he's made us alive because we've been forgiven and so we have a close relationship with god now where the barrier of sin was there before so we, in a sense, have already been raised from the dead. Now there is a future resurrection too, but we've got the foretaste of that in being raised with Christ and having a new life in Christ. Now what did Jesus do? Well, he canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. I think he's talking about the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was like, um, like a bill of indebtedness, like a, like a, 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 a bill that, that lists our debts. And, uh, and he nailed it to the cross. That, that old covenant that lists all of our unpaid debts before God is nailed to the cross. Now we're forgiven and we have a new life. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and, and, and held them up to public contempt, uh, when he overcame them in his crucifixion. So don't try to work, don't worry about these, uh, uh spirit beings. Uh, Jesus has conquered all of them in, in His death and resurrection. He, uh, bound the strong men and He defeated all the spiritual forces of wickedness. And so we don't need any special teachings to try to overcome them. Jesus has already done that. The point is Jesus is everything. Just be in Jesus and you've got it all. Thoughts and comments on all that?
2: he talks about the removal of the body of the flesh so they were saying well the body is evil and it's all bad through and through he's saying no Jesus has already removed quote the flesh yes. or the evil from your life so your body isn't evil the, the evil part has already been removed by Jesus Yes. Not so much a physical, uh, but a spiritual flesh, <laughs> I guess.
1: Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. It, it uses that kind of double meaning of flesh. The circumcision literally mm-hmm. cut off a piece of flesh, but flesh is often used for sin, and so Jesus cut the sins out of our life. That was the spiritual flesh. Mm-hmm.
2: So then when they were saying your body is is evil and bad and he was saying, well, Jesus has already purified the evil out of you.
1: That's right. Let's cut it out. Yeah, good point. So What's
0: this public display?
1: <laughs> good question. Um, I don't know that I can say that uh, definitively. But, I mean, when he was raised from the dead, you know, he really showed that all that Satan and his forces had done was in vain. You know, it was a, it was a triumph over. It showed that he triumphed over Satan. So maybe that's the idea.
3: Could it go back to the whole concept of the Roman um, victory march, where the
1: prisoners of war, the,
3: the enemy commander, was displayed publicly. He was led led through the streets, and you know, ha ha ha. Yeah, you know, he's, he's a prisoner now.
1: You certainly have a lot of things throughout the New Testament that talk about Jesus' victory over Satan and spiritual forces. I would think about, for example, um, in the end of 1 Peter 3, where he talks about baptism now saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. Jesus won the victory over Satan and all of his troops in his death and resurrection. So don't worry about them. Just be in Jesus. All right. Well, uh, I'll be in Brazil next week, Lord willing. Two weeks from now is okay, I think, right? Mm -hmm. You guys won't be in Florida yet. The next week you will be. Mm -hmm. And the Piners will be gone too, I think, working on their play. So we'll study in two weeks. And then we will be out three, because one with Florida and two with Mozambique. Got it? Got it. Got it. You can commute anytime you want there.